Amen. It's good to see you all this morning here as we worship together. I'm Pastor Joy. It's good to see you this Easter season, as Pastor Lars mentioned earlier in the service. And this season, we are continuing with the theme of Peter. I hope you're not tired of him. <laughs> I'm not, right? One of the things we love about Peter is, is the realistic portrayal of a disciple who stumbles and falls as he seeks to follow Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're going to be looking this season at how Jesus' resurrection changes Peter into one of the primary leaders of the early church. And that's this, we're going to talk about this pivot point today. And so if you're just, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, or maybe you were here for Easter and not a few weeks before that, let me tell a few of the stories that precede where we're going today in scripture. So Jesus, as we, as we observe on Good Friday, was betrayed and arrested. And Peter follows Jesus that evening, that dark night. And as Jesus is over there, Peter is near a fire and a servant girl recognizes him as one of Jesus' disciples. She says to him, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he, he says, I am not. That happens twice. And then later in the evening, he's asked again about Jesus. And he says, I don't even know who you're talking about. A full stop denial. Cue the rooster crow, which reminds Peter of Jesus' words when he said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then as we also observe on Good Friday, Jesus journeys to the cross. He's killed. He's buried. And then, as we celebrated last Sunday, Jesus rises again from the dead. This is a literal historic resurrection. This is not a metaphor. It's real. The women and Peter and John go, and they find the tomb empty. And then a few days later, now we're getting to our story today, Peter has suggested to the disciples that they go out fishing. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. It is an unsuccessful fishing venture. And then a stranger from the shore shouts out to them on the boats, Hey, you guys, why don't you put your nets over on the other side of the boat? It's a weird request contextually, but why not? And so they try it. And it is the fourth day of creation down there. Their net, it, the Bible tells us they start to kind of break. There's so many fish. And Peter realizes it's Jesus and he dives into the water. You know, that's so Peter, right? Dives into the water, swims to shore, meet Jesus. And Jesus is there waiting for them with barbecue fish. And they have breakfast with Jesus. And then our story for today continues. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word. Let me pray before we begin. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspires the prophets and writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. We ask that you will send your spirit now to give us deeper insight and encouragement and faith and hope through the proclamation of this Easter gospel. Amen. Our scripture reading continues John chapter 21, verses 15 to 23. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So as you might have noticed, there is a lot going on in this story. I see it's, you know, there are pews empty up here, and it's hard to hear back there. If anyone wants to move over, you're welcome to do that. It's just better up here, I'll tell you. Um, Anyway, it's your choice. So (laughs) there is a lot going on in this story. So this is is what I'm going to do. If you have your Bible... I invite you to open it to John chapter 21 so you can follow along. You can also take notes um, in your sermon notes here. And I actually recommend this because if you have your own Bible and you write some notes in it, later on in months or years to come, you can go back and, and be reminded of some of the things you learned. You can also take notes on this and then stick it in your Bible near John 21. Both of those are, are useful Christian discipleship practices. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to look pretty intently at this text, and then we're going to look for how we might apply this story of Jesus to our own lives as his disciples. Okay, so one thing that's pretty obvious about this text is that Jesus asks Peter three times about his love. Did you notice that? Uh, in, In great literature, there is what's called the rule of three. You ever heard of that? Do you remember that maybe from high school English? Right, The rule of three, you can see this with three witches in Macbeth, or three little pigs, or three wishes from the genie, or three leaves on a clover, or three strikes and you're out. That's baseball, but still it's in literature. So we see this rule of three in scripture too, right? First you might think, oh, the Holy Trinity, of course. But also, three disciples go to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Peter betrays Jesus three times, and here it is. Jesus asking Peter if he loves him three times. It's kind of like a perfectly matched set. But there's something more here I want to look at. Yes, Peter denies Jesus three times, but in our passage today, Jesus invites Peter five times and maybe even six if you count that middle prophecy part. And so we're going to look at these six invitations. So the first three, verse 1, I mean verse 15. Simon Johnson, I just call him that. Obviously, he wasn't Swedish, but Simon, son of John, is Simon Johnson, okay? Simon Johnson, do you love me more than these other disciples? Feed my lambs. Second invitation, verse 16. Simon Johnson, do you love me? 
take care of my sheep. Third invitation, verse 17, Simon Johnson, do you love me? Feed my sheep. So let's look at these first three invitations. I mean, Jesus is basically asking the same question. He's getting basically the same answer, and then he gives basically the same command. Here, Peter and Jesus are. They're walking on the beach. We know this from a little later on when John's following them. And and Jesus first says, do you love me more than they love me, Peter? More than those other disciples back there still eating fish? Do do you love me more than they do? I mean, because in in the Gospels, Peter is very boastful about how much he loves Jesus. He has boasted how awesome he is at loving Jesus. He's boasted that he would lay down his life for Jesus. He said he would never fall away. He's claimed that his loyalty to Jesus is the best. Well, we know that that was overconfidence. He failed at that. I mean, Peter had a false image of himself. He wasn't as good at loving as he thought. He ran away. He lies. He betrays Christ. He denies Christ. And, and so when Jesus says, do you love me more than these, those other disciples, Jew, these other disciples, Peter, he's saying, because Peter, you didn't show it. Not only did you run away, you said you didn't even know who I am. Peter, do you love me? And, and Simon Johnson answers, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then they walk on. And, and then Jesus asks him again and again. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then again, one final time, Jesus asks Simon Johnson, do you love me? I bet Peter's getting a little frustrated here, right? This is painful. The scripture says that he feels hurt. Doesn't Jesus believe him? In this, these questions, he is being reminded of his sin. Now, not explicitly, and there's no threat. It's not like Peter's, Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, when, when you stood at that fire and denied knowing me to a servant girl, a servant girl, Peter, you, you proved yourself untrustworthy. And, but we can't really help reading the story through the lens of Peter's denial because over and over and over that night, Peter's like, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know the man. In his denial, Peter unnames Jesus. He never says Jesus' name. He calls him the man. I mean, that's painful. But here, Peter says, Jesus says Peter's name over and over. Simon Johnson. He calls him out. Simon Johnson. Simon, son of John. Because this is how Jesus' grace is. His grace exceeds Peter's betrayals, his denials, his sort of accidental forgetting. Jesus' grace exceeds Peter's sin. Last week in the Easter sermon, Pastor Lars wondered if if maybe Peter's denial was worse than Judas' betrayal because at least Judas was out in the open. He wasn't pretending. It was real. He wasn't hiding anything. But Peter. But Jesus knows this moment in the past. Jesus knows Peter's heart right now. Jesus knows everything. And in this moment of final vulnerability, Peter says, Lord, you know absolutely everything. You do know that I love you. I think that ever since that bad weekend, which is an understatement, 
Peter no longer trusts his own instincts. He's appealing to what Frederick Bruner calls the supreme court of Jesus knowing of him and of everyone else because Jesus knows Peter. He knows not only what Peter has done in the past, but what he has potential to do in the future. Because Jesus then replies, feed my sheep. It's not literal sheep. (laughs) Jesus is talking about the church. Take care of the little church, Peter. I'm entrusting her to you. Jesus' graceful invitation here is to invite Peter into a lifelong vocation. That's what all that sheep talk is about. Jesus is inviting Peter into the work he's going to be doing for the rest of his life. This conversation is the pivot point of Peter's change from disciple to leader. He stays a disciple, but he also becomes a leader because Peter is the first disciple, the lead disciple, and he plays a foundational role in the, as the rock of the church, as we're going to see in the upcoming weeks when we start looking at Acts. Peter was, for all purposes, the first lead pastor of the church. And here Jesus is, calling him to that role of pastor to feed the flock with the word of God, to feed the lambs, the children, the sheep, the adults, and everyone in between, to shepherd the people, to care for the flock. That's the first three invitations Jesus gives. But it continues, because Jesus' invitations exceed our denials. Number four, I'd I'd like to call a sort of bonus invitation, because Jesus says, This is a different translation here. Amen, amen. That means, listen up, this is important. I want to tell you something very important. When you were a young man, you used to tie your own belt and go out walking wherever you wanted to go. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you up and take you to a place you do not want to go. And then we not Peter. We are told this as the readers. Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. I wonder why Jesus said this to Peter. Why suddenly? Why is he talking about this? And what Jesus is talking about is Peter's future death. Peter will be killed under the reign of Nero. He will be crucified just like Jesus was, but legend has it, the church history, not scripture, but teach that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to have the honor of dying the way Jesus did. And so we wonder, why did Jesus tell him this now? One commentator suggests that at Peter's end, when he experiences this crucifixion, he will not be tempted to ask, is this awful thing happening to me because I disappointed Jesus? Is this punishment for that night long ago when I denied my Lord? Instead, this is future reassurance that the cross accompanies mission for Jesus. This is Jesus' fourth invitation. Jesus is giving Peter a heads up on how this is going to end so that when it happens, he will be assured it is not punishment. This is Jesus' invitation for Peter to suffer. In this fourth, this what I'm calling the bonus invitation, he's offering reassurance that might not be helpful for Peter in a while, but one day, one day it's going to give him something to hold on to in hope that he is suffering just like the Lord who he loves. Fourth invitation. 
And then the fifth and sixth invitations. Then Jesus says, follow me, follow me. It's sort of just like that day, what feels like a million years ago, but really three years ago on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus said, follow me to the first time to Peter and his brother Andrew on the very same beach, very same body of water. But I, I don't actually think Peter's listening. He's, he's looking at John, who's following them as, as they have a nice one-on-one beach walk. And, and Peter's wondering how it's going to end for John. What about him, Jesus? How's it going to end for him? And Jesus says, and this is my translation, he says, that's not your business. Then he says the sixth invitation, you follow me. You follow me. Now, not all Bibles emphasize the word you here, but it is emphasized in the Greek. It's specific. You, Peter, the rock, you, Simon Johnson, you must follow me. Write that in your Bible if it doesn't say you. These last two invitations are follow me, you follow me. And of all the words that Jesus says to Peter in this dialogue, these final two invitations are clear for all of us. You follow me. And it's kind of easy to be like Peter here and to, like to look around at other people and be like, well, what, what about him? What about her? What about that person over there? Huh? Huh, Jesus? Are, are they going to follow you too? But that's not the point of the text. That's us taking our eyes off Jesus. And if you remember the sermon from a few weeks ago about Peter walking on water, when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks. And he's looking at other people. He's looking at John. What about them? What about them? And Jesus brings it back to their relationship, and he says, you follow me. Six invitations. Three that invite Peter into his lead vocation, his vocation as lead pastor of the early church. One that invites him to suffer as Jesus suffered. And two that invite him once again, once again, to follow Jesus. Yes. Peter denied Jesus three times, but Jesus' invitations always outnumber our denials. And this is our word for today. Jesus' grace exceeds Peter's sin. Jesus' invitation in this one-on-one dialogue is greater than Peter's denial. So here is some application for us today from the text. There's two primary things. And the first is that, just like Peter... Jesus calls each of us into a vocation. Now, vocation, I would define vocation as our calling in the world. Now, it depends on how we raise, how we think about vocation. We can have different ideas, ideas on it. Sometimes we might think of vocation as only a word that describes religious work, like missionaries or nuns or seminary professors. Others of us might have grown up in a context when we heard vocation, we thought, well, there is a hierarchy of vocation. And like at the top of the hierarchy is like foreign missionaries where they have to learn a new language and the food is weird. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, for some Americans, like European missionaries. And then um, (laughs) lead pastors and then associate pastors and then seminary professors and Bible teachers. And then maybe today we would add Bible YouTubers. I don't know. It depends on who it is. But there's a sort of hierarchy, and then underneath it says everybody else, and that could be like doctors, lawyers, students, stay-at-home moms, whatever your job is, fill in there. Okay, I am not showing you this hierarchy because it is true. It is not true. If you believe this, if in your mind you believe that pastoral call is a higher vocation than yours as a businessman, that's wrong. 
write it down and get rid of it, burn it. That is not what we believe about vocation in the Protestant Christian church. Because all of God's people, every disciple of Jesus is called to serve in God's kingdom as ambassadors. Whether you are a missionary, pastor, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, lawyer, financial advisor, trader, stay-at-home mom, work-at-home parent, student. All of these things are vocations. And one is not more special in God's eyes. All of us are called to know Christ to follow him, and to work towards spiritual and emotional maturity. All of us need discipleship to represent Jesus in whatever realm we're called in. And and God uses us to create a more just and compassionate world in our work, to seek the good of the city we live in, the common good, to be salt and light in our communities, to bring justice and right virtue and ethics in the world where we serve. That is very important work, to represent Christ in all spheres of life. I mean, this really comes out of a lot of the good work our reformers did 500 years ago. They recognized that the priesthood of, they recognized the priesthood of believers, not just the priesthood of priests, that every Christian who is faithfully seeking to follow Christ is called to represent Christ in their work to work hard and ethically and with the kingdom of God in mind for God's glory. And a pastor's job, one of a pastor's job, is to help equip people to do this, to equip you to serve in whatever unique ministry context God has called you in in your homes and workplaces. Jesus calls Peter to his unique vocation. But you know what? We're not all called to be lead pastors. That would be weird if it were true, but it's not true. But if you have children young or old, you're called to care for them. If you manage people or invent things or, or work in a school or if you're in fifth grade or a junior or taking a gap year so you can grow in your work skills before college, these are all vocations through which God can use you. Jesus hasn't called you and me like he called Peter, but he does call us. So consider this. What is your vocation? Ask yourself, what's my vocation? How am I bringing about the glory of God in the world? How has God uniquely called me here in the western suburbs in 2023? And there's a call for all of us, no matter our age. The topic of vocation is one that I would love to be delving into more with some of you one-on-one or in small groups. And Pastor Larson and I have been talking about it. And if a good start, if you want to read more on this, I highly recommend this book by Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. So first, what is my vocation? Second, Jesus' call to vocation is specific for each person, but his call to follow is universal. It's for us all. Follow me is a word for us all, and it is not, it's not vague and it's not plural. It's not all y'all follow me. I mean, we're called into the church together, but each of us is called individually. Follow me, you, singular, you follow me. Jesus desires for all of us to follow him, to be disciples, to apprentice in the way of Jesus. Scripture teaches that God desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And all people are invited to follow Jesus. Sometimes it is kind of easy to think like, well, God would want me to follow him if he knew what I'd done. 
Why, why would God want me to follow him? I'm real messed up. And, and then maybe you think of sin or addiction or, or how it might be hard to follow Jesus, how it might have suffering. But you know what? Jesus knows that. He knows that, and he still wants us to follow him. Jesus knows each of us just like he knew Peter. We can't hide. He knows. He knew about Peter. He knows about me. He knows about you, singular and plural. He knows the best and the worst, but still he invites us because he recognizes our potential. You follow him. And we're invited to follow Jesus because his invitations always exceed our denials. Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. But here in this long walk on the beach, Jesus' invitation doubles Peter's denial. They provide an opportunity for Peter to reflect on his true commitment to Christ. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? They provide guidance for Peter's vocation. Feed my sheep. Pastor the flock, Peter. And they remind him of his ultimate purpose. Follow me. And all of this simply reflects the character of God because God's grace always exceeds our sin. God's forgiveness is greater than what we can do. It's like no matter how hard Peter tries to get away, Jesus still shows up and he still offers grace. Jesus takes Peter's denial and he doubles it. There was something that happened to me recently that reminds me of this story in a weird way. I was in Santa Fe with my family uh, over spring break and we went to an art collective uh, immersive experience called Meow Wolf. And it was uh, like a house, but it was huge. It was in a bowling alley. Um, and it was called the House of Re- Eternal Return. The first time I got in the house, I, I crawled from the outside of the house through this opening that once I entered, it turned out to be the fireplace. And I was in the living room. And it, it, the symbol for the art installation is the infinity sign because you leave the house through the refrigerator or the dryer or a closet and and you're in another part of this art installation and then suddenly you find yourself back in the house again the house of eternal return and i i think quite a little bit quite a lot jesus is like the house of eternal return right you try to leave and he shows back up again because that's his character You try to escape some way, and then he shows up on the beach, miraculously multiplying the fish. You try to leave. You say you don't even know him, and then he calls you, and he calls you by name, and he calls you three times. And then he offers you comfort for the future. And then he reminds you of those first words he said to you, which were, follow me, follow me. Jesus is the ultimate house of eternal return. And so this Easter season, my friends, be like Peter. Return to Jesus. Hear his invitation, his invitation for vocation, his invitation for following once again. And so today, as our response, we're going to sit in silence with this question on the screen. What is Jesus' invitation to me today? You could be on the Sea of Galilee, and take a walk with Jesus, what would he say to you? What would your vocational call be? How would he invite you to follow him? Let's pray, and then we'll take some time of silence. 
Jesus, you are the house of eternal return. Your invitations to us exceed our sin. They exceed our denial. And we thank you for that. May each of us return to you over and over and over again. And now we offer up our prayers and reflections to you silently. <clears throat>